Welcome to Copyright Clearance in this podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Beyond the Book. It's Friday, June 8th, 2018. Our weekly guest on the show is Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly Senior Writer, who joins me today from the magazine's office in Manhattan. Welcome back, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. So last Friday, Andrew, we were together at the Jacob Javits Convention Center for Book Expo. The trade show closed on Friday afternoon, but that wasn't the end of the proceedings. Over the weekend was the Consumer Show, BookCon, which Reed launched five years ago and which has enjoyed some success in past years. PW was there too, complete with the show daily. So what's the word then on BookCon 2018? Yes, so by all accounts, BookCon had another good showing this year, although we don't exactly know how good just yet. Uh, Reed hasn't released attendance figures, although one official put the number at around 20,000 once again, which is quite solid. But what we do know from being on site was that the lines were long. uh, And in fact, some of the lines to get into BookCon started in the wee hours of the morning and the crowds were super enthusiastic. And we also saw that younger readers were really well represented. You know, among the big hits at the show this year at BookCon were YA author Cassandra Clare, who was greeted absolutely like a rock star. Like BEA, I'm sure we're going to see some more, I'm going to use their word here, reimagining when it comes to BookCon, how they're going to improve it and change it going forward. What we see now is that the growth rate after five years, uh, including a little trip to Chicago in the middle of that, seems to have leveled off somewhat. But as we've been saying for all these years, you know, publishers really need to open up to the public uh, and to be more, you know, B2C, business to consumer rather than B2B. And I think BookCon shows that they've had some measure of enthusiasm among the public for doing just that. So authors love the publicity and the attention, naturally, and a week later, we are still talking about one author, though his book isn't getting the same PR as is his past. Former President Bill Clinton's new book is a thriller, The President is Missing, that he co-wrote with best-selling author James Patterson. The book got a big boost at BookCon, but then things went a bit off script. And that was entirely predictable, I think, right? I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to brag here, but it probably wasn't hard to predict this. And I know I predicted it when I first heard that uh, James Patterson and Bill Clinton were going to appear together. I was astounded. You know, I sat in my editor's office and I said, how can they do this? You know, we're in the midst of the Me Too movement, uh, never mind the right wing fervor that was probably going to you know, hit. You know, usually hits anything with the name Clinton attached to it. I thought it was just going to be mayhem. So, you know, the book on talk with James Patterson and Bill Clinton went really well, actually. Uh, and if they had left it at that, maybe they would have gotten away clean. But the media interviews, as our listeners no doubt know by now, were just a disaster, beginning with, you know, Bill Clinton blowing up at an NBC reporter when he was quite predictably asked about Monica Lewinsky. Clinton sounded terse, unapologetic utterly self-concerned and frankly unlikable. It was a terrible look for the former president. And I have to say it was really painful to watch James Patterson sit through that interview beside Bill Clinton. Uh, And on Monday night, as I was relaxing uh, and watching Brian Williams on the 11th hour, apparently he had the same reaction I did. So, you know, I was watching the TV and I made this short clip and let's see if our producer, Jeremy Brisky can play that clip for us now. Uh, And to use Brian Williams' own catchphrase, we'll talk about it on the other side. The question of the day may be this one. Who thought it was a good idea to put Bill Clinton on a book tour at this moment in time? Okay, so good question, Brian Williams, and a perfect one to toss to you, Andrew Albanese. Who did think it was a good idea to put Bill Clinton on tour, and was it, in fact, a bad idea? 
Those are good questions, right? You know, I'm sure it was actually a team decision uh, to put Bill Clinton out there on the road and do, to do media and interviews for the book. I mean, it's Bill Clinton, right? You think on its face, you know, why not tout the involvement of a former president in this book? Uh, and I'd add that the president is missing is a joint venture. So the team probably had a few more voices on it than usual. You have both Little Brown, which is James Patterson's publisher, and Penguin Random House involved, and they were involved in this global launch, right? And I'll just say this. This much. It was Penguin Random House that actually had a Trump impersonator show up at the London Book Fair to launch the book. You probably remember that, Chris, and our li- listeners might remember seeing that in Publishers Weekly, too. I thought that was highly questionable to have a Trump impersonator launch the book there. So I have my suspicions about which side of the team <laughs> made the call here. But, you know, we're talking about publicity here. And as the old saw goes, all publicity is good publicity. And to be quite honest, This disaster of an appearance for Bill Clinton has certainly made people aware of the book. No question about it. And here's the thing, too. It's apparently an excellent read. PW actually gave it a starred review, in fact, and raved about it. So was it a bad idea? I don't know. If it raises awareness and then the buzz hits and, hey, the book is really good, it could turn out to be a really good thing, of course. Except, I will add, for Monica Lewinsky. You know, this cultural moment we're in, the the Me Too movement, it's really powerful, very much needed. But the question that was asked of President Clinton was whether he apologized to Ms. Lewinsky. And I have to say, it seems to me, Ms. Lewinsky has become this incredible, accomplished, poised woman who deserves to live her life in peace. You know, whatever you think about her initial choice to have had an affair with President Clinton, we all do things when we're young that we wish we could change. But what has happened to her since this, it just strikes me as so unfair and so wrong. And I feel like she's handled it with such grace that I can't help but admire her. And all this is to say that regardless of whether Clinton has apologized uh, to Monica Lewinsky, having her name dragged back up in this fashion makes me think that she deserves an apology from the publishers here because they had to know, or at least suspect, that putting Clinton out there in this cultural moment right now, as Brian Williams himself suggested, was going to lead to this. And frankly, James Patterson doesn't need this kind of help. He is a best-selling, mega-best-selling author in his own right, uh, and especially not with a book that's apparently this good. So in this case, I think the president probably should have been missing. All right. When Copyright Clearance and His Beyond the Book returns, Andrew Albanese tells us what happened when one author got a little too cocky about a trademark for her books. I'm Christopher Keneally with Copyright Clearance and His Beyond the Book. Publishers Weekly Radio has the very best in book talk directly from New York City, the heart of the book publishing world. I'm Mark Rotella, Senior Editor at Publishers Weekly. And I'm Rose Fox. I'm a Senior Reviews Editor at Publishers Weekly. Join us every Friday for a full hour of exciting author interviews, best-selling books, and expert reports on the nuts and bolts of publishing. Every week, we make sure that you have the inside story of your favorite story. Take a listen at publishersweekly.com slash pwradio. I'm Christopher Keneally for CCC's Beyond the Book. It's Friday, June 8th, 2018, and Andrew Albanese of Publishers Weekly joins me with a review of the week's top stories in publishing. Last Friday, Judge Alvin Hellerstein of the Southern District of New York denied a motion by an author requesting a preliminary injunction be issued to prevent publication of books that included the word cocky in their titles because she claimed to hold a trademark on the term. So what happened there, Andrew? 
Yeah, so you probably you could read all about this dispute on the PW site. You may have heard about it in the news elsewhere, but here's the story in a nutshell. So this past spring, author Felina Hopkins did obtain a trademark registration of the word cocky. This in connection with her series of self-published romance novels, each featuring one of her Cocker Brothers, and I'm going to let your imagination run wild of what a romance, a cocky romance might look like. And then Hopkins sought to block the sale of other romance books that included the term or the word cocky in their title. And she sent letters to authors telling them that they had to change the title of their books. And she also asked Amazon to pull other books featuring cocky in their titles from sale. Well, as you can imagine, that created quite a backlash. And what followed was a letter writing campaign. And the Authors Guild and the Romance Writers Association separately requested that Amazon place the removed books from Amazon back on sale that had cocky in the title. Uh, and the Guild also hired a, f- a law firm to write a letter to Hopkins explaining its position on the issue. Hopkins' response? She filed suit. And in a decision handed down last week, a federal judge denied her motion to block publication of a number of books that included the word cocky in the title, holding that the injunction was unlikely to proceed on the merits and making the very sober observation that cocky is a really common word and thus a very weak trademark. Well, Andrew, the media have had quite a good time with this story. They reported on it widely and even MoveOn.org gathered more than 27,000 signatures for a petition against Hopkins's trademark that would be sent to the United States Patent and Trademark Office. So so what's your take on all of this? Is it an unusual case after all? You know, in fact, it's not a terribly unusual case. I think it is probably because it involves the word cocky <laughs> in connection with a romance series. So it certainly is, is ready-made to get some media attention. But if you look at the conversation around this case, I think people largely don't fully understand. And understandably, it can be complex, but they don't understand necessarily how trademarks work. You know, first of all, a trademark is easy to obtain. Case in point here, right? Uh, Indeed, Hopkins had legally obtained the trademark, even though, as the judge in this case noted, uh, it's a really common word. And as a trademark, it's pretty weak. But here's the important thing with trademarks. They're easy to get, but they're not so easy to keep. Indeed, the law requires that you defend your trademark vigorously or you risk losing it. So an example that I'll point out that probably other people listening to this podcast may have run up against is back in the day, there was a company that owned the trademark on the word listserv. You know, everybody at one point or another has been probably been on a listserv of some kind. But every time we wrote an article that included the word listserv in it, we would get a cease and desist letter from this company. Now, We never thought we would be sued. We never were sued. I doubt anyone ever was sued. But the company who owned the trademark had to defend it. Thus, they had to send us that cease and desist letter. So where does this leave things with all things cocky? Well, Hopkins can still pursue her claim. She still has the trademark, I believe, as of now. It hasn't been voided at this this stage. But that's clearly not going to work. You know, I agree with the judge. It's a pretty open and shut case. It's a weak trademark. And Hopkins did face a choice. She could have defended her trademark vigorously, as she did, or she she could give it up. Did she really think she had a chance of prevailing in this case? Well, any lawyer worth their salt probably would have said, well, it seems like a weak trademark and it's a long shot. But was it a waste of time? I think that's the question here. And I don't think it was. Because... You just can't pay for this kind of publicity. You know, this story is 
everywhere now. And you and I are talking about the cocky series, which probably wouldn't have happened otherwise. I'm going to go out on a limb here, Chris. We probably wouldn't have been talking about cocky if it wasn't for this case. And I think that's probably more valuable than having the trademark itself. Again, as we were talking about earlier, that old saw comes to mind, all publicity is good publicity. Well, often that's very true, Andrew, though this week, Bill Clinton and Felina Hopkins both learned that publicity for authors is not always the same as publicity for their books. Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly Senior Writer, thanks for joining me today and every Friday on CCC's Beyond the Book. My pleasure, as always. Up next on Beyond the Book at Book Expo last week, members of the media from across Europe and the United States shared the latest in book industry trends. As Fabrice Pio of Paris-based Leave Hebdo told me, French booksellers are trying to lure customers with more than good reads. Many bookstores try new concepts, and especially in new um, small bookstores in small towns, they try to be more uh, sort of community center, cultural center. Actually, you have this in, in the States too, but it was not so uh, usual uh, in France. Uh, also, the, the square meters are more expensive usually uh, in, uh, in France than in, not in, like in New York, but uh, in the States it's not so expensive and uh, you have a lot of space. We don't have so, so, much, so, so much space in, uh, in Europe. Uh, but now many, uh, many bookstores are opening cafe or other things, uh, galleries or uh, even uh, I've seen a hair, um, how do you say, hair salon? Hair salon, yeah, hair sure. Hair salon like this. Uh, you know, you can, you can bring your children to the uh, specialized hair salon for children and you have also children books. <laughs> Covering books from cover to cover. Next on Beyond the Book. Beyond the Book is produced by Copyright Clearance Center, a global leader in content management, discovery, and document delivery solutions. Through its relationships with those who use and create content, CCC and its subsidiaries, Rights Direct to Nixis, drive market-based solutions that accelerate knowledge, power publishing, and advance copyright. Beyond the Book co-producer and recording engineer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. I'm Christopher Keneally. Join us again soon on Beyond the Book. Mm-hmm. 